Hello and welcome to the 5-1 Basketball Podcast, the best way to follow stats, storylines, and all the other crazy stuff going on in the world of pro basketball. Just kidding, we're still the 5-1 Volleyball Podcast. Just wanted to give a quick shout out to my Toronto Raptors, recently won the NBA Championships. It's been a crazy few days here, few weeks here in Toronto, so pretty pumped about the win, but still we're going to focus on volleyball today talk about Nations League round three. Again, some exciting matches going on. Things are staying competitive in Nations League. It looks like the battles for the final six and for avoiding relegation out of Nations League are going to be pretty interesting down the stretch. Also today, doing a mailbag based on questions I asked a few days ago on my Instagram, so we have that to look forward to. But first, let's do a quick recap of the past weekend in Volleyball Nations League. We no longer have any undefeated teams with Serbia, who are the giant killers of the tournament, taking down Brazil to give them their first loss. Serbia still pretty much playing with their B team. We saw Drazen Lubric and Nikola Jovovic return this weekend, but they didn't play all the matches and all the sets. And even then, like some of the B team guys looked just as competitive as Jovovich and Lubrich. So, you know, I, I saw these guys play in person a few times last weekend in Ottawa. And while maybe the ball control and skills aren't there as much as some of the other teams, really scrappy defensive team, it's also the guys can get really hot in service. So, well done to Serbia. Still might get a final six spot despite resting most of their players. It'll be interesting to see if they do make it into the final six, whether they will bring their A team or maybe, hey, to let the guys who got them there try and win something. That would be really cool. Iran had another spectacular weekend playing at home in front of like definitely the craziest crowds at Volleyball Nations League so far. Probably the craziest crowds we'll see the entire time. Apparently over 200,000 people were parading in the streets after the match. Some of the teams even had trouble getting back to the, their hotel, which is like a three kilometer drive away. So Iranian fans are definitely on another level. They were very loud, very passionate the entire weekend and helped Iran beat Canada, Poland, and Russia to go 3-0 against three of the best teams in Nations League. They are now 8-1, pretty much assured of a spot in the final six, which is good for them because that was the goal of Coach Kalakovic. He's played his top starters in every single match of Nations League so far with barely any subs, so they were definitely gunning harder for final six than any team they have a pretty strong top six especially Maruf and Ibadapur and Musavi have all been playing very well and Amir Gafour as well as looked a lot better playing with Maruf than he did playing for Monza this year those Iranian guys I feel like they all play a lot better playing with each other than on their club teams it's obvious how much experience they have looking forward to seeing them in Chicago for final six however I definitely wouldn't paint them into a medal round anytime soon. They have played their starters more than any other team, especially more than any of the other top teams. Brazil's the only one that really comes even close. They've also had probably the best home court advantage so far, and will have another round at home next week, so they can easily get one or two wins next week to guarantee their spot in Final Six. But they may consider resting their starters in the last round because those guys will be pretty tired going into Chicago because they did have to travel and play every weekend, although they had a pretty easy time because most of their pools were in Asia. 
Canada, another team in Iran's pool, had a brutal weekend going 0-3, really costly for the Canadians as this likely puts them out of contention for Final Six. It's still a little early. They could potentially turn it around, but they still have some good teams left to play. Still have to play Brazil, still have to play France, still have to play the Americans and the Italians, so going to be tough for Canada. There are a lot of teams in the mix for the final spots. Now actually would be a good time to go over the table quickly. So Iran and Brazil, both 8-1. and one. Italy and Russia, both 7-2. and two. Italy, by the way, with another good weekend going 3-0 and oh against Japan, Australia, and Bulgaria. So not the best teams, but still, they're getting it done. I'm, I'm surprised they're going this hard without Zaitsev and Wantarena and Kalachi and Lanza, though. They sent Antonov and Gianelli to all and Nelly to all the matches so far. Gabriele Nelly, the second highest scorer in Nations League. So far, only one point behind Canadian Shawan Vernon Evans. On the preview, I did say I expected them to finish well outside the final six because they were missing so many of their good players, and I didn't expect Gianelli and Antonov and Nelly to play this many minutes. But they have, and they're playing well so far, so congrats to Italy. They're not guaranteed to make final six. They still have a couple of tough games and if Gianelli does rest that could impact their chances a lot but most likely they will qualify we'll see if anyone else joins them for the finals in Chicago so those teams are 7-2 Russia I think will pretty much be guaranteed to qualify France at 6-3 again most likely going to qualify especially now they have Engapet, LaRue and Taniuti all back with the team so France going to be playing with a stronger lineup probably in the last two rounds USA at 5-4, and four, despite not sending their best lineup every weekend, especially the first couple rounds. But they're qualified anyway, so that doesn't matter. So that leaves Poland and Serbia at 5-4, and four, and then Argentina, Canada, Japan at 4-5. and five. So a lot of teams kind of in the mix, hoping that, I'm guessing either Italy or France will drop a few games. Important match between Poland and Italy next weekend, taking place in Milan. It's one to focus on, but we'll we'll leave the previews for later on. The race for relegation spot also got more interesting this weekend. Australia still only 1-8, despite some actually pretty close matches. Portugal 2-7, Bulgaria 3-6, and and Canada 4-5. So Bulgaria and Canada, I doubt they will be at risk of being relegated, especially Canada. Pretty much no chance that... They lose all their games, and Australia wins four more, so probably pretty safe. Bulgaria, same thing. I expect them to win one or two more matches, especially since they are playing at home in the final round. So that means it's going to come down to Portugal or Australia, and they are both in the same pool next weekend with two very good teams in Iran and France, so that's definitely going to be interesting. Other information from this weekend's Nations League, a lot of players returning, as I mentioned, Taniyudi, Engapet, and LaRue made their return. Didn't end up helping that much. The players were looking a bit rusty. Those guys started in the match against Argentina, but quickly went down in the first and second sets and were subbed off for the guys that have been with the team for a little bit longer, maybe in a bit better shape. So not sure if those guys will be joining the team again in Iran or Brazil. Kind of tough couple travel weeks to end Nations League. However, I do believe, as per FIVB rules, they do need to play at least two rounds, so 
We'll see if they take the week off this week and then join for Brazil and Chicago or, or what they decide to do. But France losing to Argentina and the Americans this weekend did put their Nations League final six chances in a slight jeopardy. I still expect them to make the finals, but given their success last year at Nations League, coming in second place to Russia, I do expect them to try and at least make final six, although we saw how exhausted some of the French players get later on in the tournaments in the summer, a poor showing at the World Championships for France last year, so I doubt they want to repeat that same mistake in the Olympic qualifiers where they are in a very tough pool with Poland and Slovenia or at the European Championships in September. We also saw Luciano De Ceco play for Argentina, which helped in their wins against Germany and France. Unfortunately, not enough for the Argentinians to make it past the Americans, who had a really successful weekend, actually, playing in France. Ben Patch has looked a lot better than he has in the past. The guy keeps on improving. I know I've kind of criticized him in the past for not really putting his athleticism to full use, but he's definitely got better control of his body. He's definitely picking his targets a lot better. Had a great weekend, especially in that game against Argentina. And I think Ben Patch, he's going to be a safe bet to take to the 2020 Olympics, I think at this point, especially if he continues to play well the rest of the summer. We also saw Sveden Sokolov, surprisingly enough, return for Bulgaria. Didn't really look like he was in full shape. The guy did have a pretty tough club season, really going the distance with Cucine Luigi Vitanova, winning both the Champions League titles and the Italian League finals, so I'm sure he took a bit of time to celebrate. Those are some two pretty impressive wins back with the team. We'll take him a while to get back into shape, and he helped them win a very important match in terms of relegation against Australia. We also saw Martin Atanasov with the team, one of my personal favorite players, really liked watching him play on Shomon this year, really athletic guy, didn't have a super impressive weekend with Bulgaria, definitely looked a bit out of sorts, wasn't passing the ball fantastic, and Bulgaria actually does have a few decent outside hitters, so lots of competition there. I do expect Atanasov to see some time in the last couple rounds though. So I think that's about it for the recap. The pool I expected to be the most exciting with Iran, Canada, Poland, and Russia ended up not really being that exciting with a lot of 3-0 and 3-1 victories. Canada just completely losing their composure. They were really frustrated this weekend. Still no TJ Sanders too, which hurts them. Iran looked incredibly dominant, especially with all those fans backing them. Upset of the weekend was definitely Serbia beating Brazil. That was a really fun game to watch. The Serbians were definitely have felt the words of people doubting them, people writing them off, and the fact that they are 5-4 and four and really, really close to making the final six. It's a pretty good testament to their perseverance and spirit. I haven't really mentioned China yet, but don't think there's a point. It's pretty frustrating to see a team, pretty clearly to me, the worst team in Nations League right now. But again, they have no chance of being relegated being one of those core host countries and yes they do provide a lot of money to the FIVB but they should at least be able to put out a fairly competent team fairly competent product and it's just unfortunate when a team that in my opinion is even performing worse than I I expected has nothing to worry about and I really feel bad for Australia and, and Portugal who really had to work hard to fight their way into this tournament watching the European Championships it's It's not a small amount of volleyball. They have to play and commit many weekends 
to qualifying. And then they also have to play the Challenger Cup too. So not an easy feat to get into Nations League unless you're one of the core teams. All right, so why don't we move on to the mailbag? It has been a few days since you guys asked these questions. I apologize. I'm going to blame the Toronto Raptors because it was just a crazy weekend with them. But I think most of these questions, if not all of them, are still pretty relevant. I don't think anything's changed yet. So let's start with a question by Johan Yankov, who asks, who is your favorite Brazilian volleyball player? Going to have to go with the Ricardo Lucarelli. I hated not seeing him last summer with Brazil with that terrible Achilles injury. However, he has bounced back better than ever, still looks really athletic. He has kind of like a happy-go-lucky maybe attitude, like he's always positive. Maybe something that some of the other Brazilian players lack. They're a bit more intense, a bit more confrontational. So that's more of my personality, kind of go with the flow, nice and mellow. So I appreciate a player like that who's also passes dimes, super athletic, incredible server, just one of the top players in the world. So Ricardo Lucarelli for me. Ty Kiesman1 asks, who's going to win? I'm assuming he means who's going to win Nations League. I'm going to talk about Brazil once again. I think Brazil and the USA are definitely going to be the top two teams like I predicted. Brazil bringing a lot of their good players to these events. We saw Bruno return this weekend, which helped them a lot. And they're just super deep, super talented. And with their best lineup with Yoandri Lille as an addition to the team, going to be really tough to beat. But you can say the same thing about the Americans. Like the fact that TJ DeFalco, like one of the most exciting young players in the world, might not even sniff the starting lineup for like another eight years. That's pretty crazy and a pretty good testament to how good this generation of USA Volleyball is with Aaron Russell, Taylor Sander, Micah Christensen, Eric Shoji, Matt Anderson. Just a really, really good squad right now. And we have another question about Brazil from Jose Felipe DP, who asks, how is Brazil doing up until now, in your opinion? I'd say pretty great, 8-1. I think they've been the best team in Nations League so far. And while they have been bringing a lot of their best players out to play matches, they still usually give every player at least one game of rest per round, so they're not having guys play in all three games every weekend. I really like Kachopa. Probably not going to be as good as Bruno or William, but with the talent around him, he could probably be the successor on a really good Brazilian national team. My only criticism is that maybe they're relying on their top guys too much. Maybe they could give them a bit more of a rest, but we'll see what happens in the last two rounds. If they play some of their younger and more borderline players in the last two rounds and give the rest of the guys a rest, you know, it'll be fine. They're doing really well. I expect them to come first or second in Chicago, to be honest. Elias asks, what are your predictions for the final six? I think they're mostly similar to the ones I had before the tournament started. Iran has definitely been a bit of a surprise for me. I had them at number eight, I believe, in the uh, pre-tournament rankings but they've gone hard with their best lineup every single weekend. They've played really, really well, serving like monsters. Obviously, they're going to make final six, might even finish as the top team in the tournament. Italy also, I thought they would take the tournament a little bit easier considering the rest of the competitions they have to participate in this summer, so they were a surprise for me, currently sitting at number three. However, I don't know for sure if Italy will end up making the final six. I actually think Poland might sneak in there and take their spot. Italy with two games on Poland right now, but that can easily be reduced to one this weekend. And I expect it to. Poland is the better team right now. And 
Heenan is reportedly sending a pretty strong roster to Italy next weekend. So with a strong roster from Poland, they should pretty easily be able to go 3-0 and against Italy, Serbia, and Argentina. So to recap, I think the final six in Chicago will be Iran, Brazil, Russia, France, USA, and Poland, which is pretty much the same as last year except a Serbia-Iran swap. So I had a few questions with people asking about teams not playing their best lineups and players in the Nations League. If you listen to my preview podcast, you know, we were pretty aware that this could be an issue before the tournament started. Or I don't say issue, like, I actually don't think it's that big a problem. Will Thought asks, your opinion on teams not playing their best lineups? Brian Hahn saying, teams are resting their better players and focusing on, you know, resting and player development and stuff. And Abdul Anas asked why Matt Anderson is not playing in Volleyball Nations League. So these are all, the answer to all these is the same because teams are resting their guys. It's a grueling five weekends of travel. Oftentimes it can take two to three days to travel between some of these locations. When you factor in, you know, driving to the airport, getting on your plane, a lot of time international overnight flights landing, driving to, you know, to some city, maybe taking another form of transportation because a lot of these cities are kind of smaller and out of the way. Then, you know, you have to get to your hotel and and settle in. It could be really grueling and tough on the players. There is a belief that all this traveling can wear on the mental and physical fortitude, lead to injuries, lead to burnout, which leads to poor performances at, you know, more important tournaments like the Olympic qualifiers and Eurovolley this summer. So that's basically why the players are resting. They probably would rest a bit more, but I believe there's a rule that players participating in last year's World Championships have to play two rounds of Nations League if they want to participate in this summer's FIVB tournament. So that's why you'll see most good players at least play two rounds of the tournament. To be honest, no other sport really has something like this where it's almost, I wouldn't say it's a meaningless tournament, but there's no ranking points. The money is only really worth it if you're in the top three. And these guys are playing 15 games in five different countries, mostly on different continents, over five weeks. There's not, there's not a lot like it in any other sport. While I appreciate watching it, it's a really entertaining tournament. I can understand the frustration with the federations and the teams and having to go through all the planning and stuff to pull off a tournament like this. And a follow-up question by Brian Han. He asks, what value do you think different national teams hold over winning VNL? Since it, okay, so I see this is a win in a tournament so far. They want to be like Canada in 2017 when they won that bronze medal. Maybe since they know the Olympic qualifiers will be a pretty tough tournament for them later on this year with Russia in their pool. And then after that, they don't really have a major continental tournament to deal with. So that could be it. They just might as well focus on Nations League. They don't have anything else going on. Although beating Russia this weekend might have given them some hope. And then on the other side of the spectrum, you have like Serbia, who has not played any of their guys who participated in the World Championship starting lineup last summer. And I mean, they're still doing pretty good, five and four, like I've mentioned earlier in the podcast. But they're definitely a team that, you know, Nations League, who cares? We've gone to the finals before. We've gone to Final Four before. We've won it before. Didn't mean anything they know. Their focus is on the grueling European tournaments going on this summer. That's more important to them. So I think it depends on the team. Some teams are every year, I think, are going to try for it. It's not a meaningless tournament. It's, it's, it's a fun time. There's a bit of prestige to it, a bit of money to it. So 
I don't think you're ever going to have a time where no team tries at all, but definitely I would say about half the teams are pretty clearly don't put any stock into it. Daniel Fair asks, what do you think about the Portuguese team? I think they've done a pretty good job so far. They've won two games. That is actually already more than I think a few people expected. Alex Ferreira has looked really good. Miguel Tavares looks really good. I wish they brought their libero Ivo Casas, but I also like, and, and Daniel, you might have to send me a message and correct me on this pronunciation, but Philip Kvetikin, their young middle blocker who played on Benefica, has looked pretty good to me so far. Actually, I do watch a few of the Portuguese clubs because I do like to, you know, go down and watch a lot of the CV Cup and Challenge Cup games, which do often feature Portuguese teams. So I've seen a lot of these guys play before. I think the success of this VNL season will definitely depend on whether they avoid relegation. Huge weekend coming up for Portugal. Beating Australia would be huge in that path towards avoiding relegation. So I think it's a success no matter what, but would be vastly more of a success if they stay in the tournament. Dax Tontelman asks, do you believe that Gianelli will be the top setter in the world in the coming years? I mean, he's already top five setter in the world, maybe even higher. He's the youngest out of that group. I think for sure he will be the best setter in the world one day. I mean, who are the other guys his age that are, you know, really high potential, really good? Probably Micah Ma'a, the American, and Cachopa, the Brazilian. I think Gianelli is easily better than both those guys. I think not only will he be the best guy in the world, I think he'll be stay there for quite a while. The only thing is Micah Christensen is only three years older than him and a little better in my opinion and more athletic, so I guess theoretically he still has a bit of room to grow as a setter. Will Thought asks, who are the top, who's the top young prospect of the tournament so far? I think the obvious answer, I don't know if you still consider him a prospect. I mean, he was only born in 1998, but he also has been playing in Nations League for three years, and that's Shawan Vernon Evans. I saw him live in Ottawa. Definitely one of the most impressive players I've seen live. The guy's absolutely insanely athletic. Was OTing like pretty strong blockers in Germany and Serbia. Still needs to refine himself a bit, but I, I think I speak for a lot of people where I think he's improved even more than we thought so in Poland over the last two years. Looked really impressive. Definitely has worked on his body, staying light. I think he has potential to be the best player in volleyball one day. So I, I would say he's a top prospect. Again, may, maybe not your strict definition of a prospect. I also thought TJ DeFalco has looked very good, a little better than expected as well. Clearly the best guy out of that graduating college class this year in the Americans. Roberto Russo, the Italian middle blocker, has done really well after not a bad season in the Italian Superliga, but I don't think he looked this good when he was in the Superliga. I mean, playing with Gianelli helps. Santiago Danani, another player who I think gained a lot of valuable experience in the Italian Superliga, playing for Padova, has looked like Argentina's best player for most of the tournament as a libero, so that's been good to watch. Other than that, like watching as much volleyball as I do, there's not really any players that have come completely out of nowhere to me to impress me, like Yuji Nishida did last year. I will say the guy who wasn't on my radar at all, who's probably been the most impressive, is Ivan Yakovlev, the Russian middle blocker. Plays in Fekal with Igor Kliuka and Dmitry Volkov. I think he has the potential to become one of Russia's starting middle blockers one day, which I, I think a couple years ago you would have said, okay, Kyrkiev and Vlasov are definitely going to be the middles of the future for Russia, but I think Yakovlev might have something to say about that. And I didn't really think of him that way before this tournament started. I'm also biased, but I think Eric Lepke 
if he was given a chance by our coach would definitely be on this list as well but as of right now hasn't really been super impressive logan mueller has actually a really fun question he asks who are the top five best non-starters that we've seen so far clarifies meaning they're not starting on their a team so just not in the top seven it was actually tough to pick just five there are a lot of players who hit this criteria who were really good playing really well for their countries but are not part of that best starting seven that i would expect to be starting in like an olympic match so the first guy is antoine brizard on france has a really good connection with all his hitters really good blocker at the setter position obviously not too hard to be better than tawny Udi, but i think he's good even like just compared to any setter done a great job of feeding his middles a lot of the french middles in the top ranks for efficiency in the nation's league so well done to brizard flavio the middle on brazil who you know buried deep deep in that uh brazilian middle rotation because they just have so many good middles isaac santos lucas sandcap eater carbonera mauricio souza there's a lot of really good brazilian middles so flavio hasn't really gotten a huge amount of touches before but looked really good this tournament kind of an unstoppable attacker i know he's getting good feeds from the brazilian passing and setting but the guy knows how to avoid a block and avoid any potential digging opportunities another middle that has impressed me a lot peter krismanovic you know i've said before the tournament serbia's middles could be starting on a lot of other teams it's just because podrashinin lizanac and stankovic were just the three big middles on serbia for so long they're some of the three best middles in the world so even good middles are going to get buried in that lineup happened to peter krismanovic and to a lesser extent alexander okolic but krismanovic has definitely been the leader on the court as far as i can tell has a bit more experience than a lot of the other guys on this young serbian team i mean you could have gone with a few guys on serbia for this question bozadar vucicevic who is the fourth opposite for serbia but still hitting over 50 percent kill percentage and looking pretty good and also miran kujanzic a younger serbian prospect I, i'm a lot more excited about this guy after watching him play in Nations League. I think he could be the best prospect coming out of Serbia right now. But ultimately, I think Chris Manovic is the best player out of all those guys. Alexander Šlivka. I mean, I just had to pick someone from Poland. I, I think he's been their best player. He's not definitively in the starting lineup. Still really good. And given how well he's playing, considering that like a month ago, he was sitting on the bench for Rafael Shijimura in the Polish Plus Liga Finals for Zaxa, but didn't let it affect him too much mentally. And... He's looked really good so far. He even had to play a bit of opposite, but you know he's a very talented player, very smart hitter. If you give him an easy block, he's going to score on it every time, and, and he's looked good so far. So well done, Schlifka. You could have picked a few guys from Poland, though. Again, like those guys are super deep. And then lastly, I'm going with opposite Gabriele Nelli on Italy. Obviously, the starter on Italy is Ivan Zaitsev. So Gabriele Nelli, not seeing a lot of court time for Italy in recent years, even on his club team, Trentino. He was starting behind Luca Vittori, a decision that I, I believe was questionable at the time. And now I think Trentino is kind of kicking themselves for playing Vittori so much over Nelly. But you know they saw them in practice every day, so you have no one to blame but yourselves. But Nelly has been the second leading scorer in Nations League so far. Just big guy, like 6'11", hits over blocks fairly frequently, doesn't get dug a lot, has a really powerful arm swing. Just, just a big guy, not in height, but also like... He's a strong guy too, so very impressed by Gabriele Nelly. And 
if he continues to serve this well too, he's, he's going to be a dangerous player for Italy in the future. Bifisma asks, choose the best three male and female players. Male players, Wilfredo Leon, Irvin Engapet, Dmitry Mazursky. Female players, Zuting, Boscovic, and Iganu. Nathwang5 asks, the biggest challenge transitioning from college to the pros. As someone who has not played pro volleyball and only played a bit of college, probably not the best person to ask, but based on conversations I've had with athletes, the biggest one by far is being away from home and far away from all the friends and family and everyone you love. That definitely seems to be the most common one. Another one is that even though American and Canadian college uh, teams are a lot of the times just as physical and athletic as their pro counterparts, the technicality and skill of the top European teams and clubs is, is a lot higher than it is here in North America. So that can be tough for a lot of players to adjust to the level of technicality and precision and skill. The language barrier, depending on who your teammates are and what club you're playing on, is also a pretty common issue for a lot of North American players who generally only speak English and sometimes go to countries where almost no one speaks English. And surprisingly enough, another transition difficulty that people seem to have is just having too much free time. Like in college, especially if you're a student athlete in the NCAA or U sports, you are training pretty intensely while also trying to focus a lot on school and do well. Both of those things are very demanding, really tough to do both of them at the same time. So when you go to the pros and yes, you have travel days, but on non-travel days, you you lift in the morning. Sometimes you don't even do that and you train in the afternoon. And other than that, you're pretty much on your own. So being away from your friends and family while also not really having a lot to do sometimes if you're not one of those people who can entertain themselves can be tough on a lot of players, especially like the extroverted ones. Philip I asks, why isn't anyone talking about Grabenikov? And and I'm sorry, Philip, I cut off the last part of your question, so apologize if I don't answer this correctly. But why isn't anyone talking about Grabenikov? You know, he's the best libero in the world. He still is. Still probably will be for a while. So unless he has some super impressive play, I don't really know what there is to say about him. He also asks, watching Sayed, like Musavi, in the VNL has me thinking, why is he such a good blocker? What can other teams do to go around him is what I assume he said in the last part of this question. I took screenshots of these, so I cut off the ends of some of them. But Musavi, you know, he's one of the best blockers in the world. Really good reader, really good lateral movement. And he plays with a really good intensity. So he's always, you know, he's always looking you in the eyes across the net. He always wants to beat you one-on-one as a middle blocker and he has these really big long lurching steps that I think you know help him seal the pins very well as to how you can beat that I think a lot of coaches this VNL would have liked to know the answer to that question but I guess beating Musavi is like beating any really good middle blocker you gotta pass well and you gotta run a high tempo offense and make sure to establish the middle so he doesn't get comfortable releasing from the middle early next question by Samilal Paslan this is a fun one. He asks, your thoughts on Eurovolley music. Samil, I'm going to assume you mean the song Let's Go Together by Eva Pavli, which was commissioned by the CV as the official song of Eurovolley European Championships 2019. I will say this, the songs specifically made for sporting events are almost always cheesy. I don't like it. It doesn't really happen nearly as much in North America, but it does seem like every sporting event in Europe um, has to have you know a theme song apparently this one was collaborated on between all the hosts they got like a dutch dj they got a french singer so 
I guess that was kind of cool that they got like artists from different countries to work on it. But the beats, I don't know, it's fine. The lyrics are just like completely nonsensical and, and, and mean nothing, basically. I don't think volleyball is even mentioned once. And I also understand French, so I can understand the French lyrics that the girl was rapping to. And they are just as silly as the English ones. You know, Worlds Collide by Nervo, the Volleyball Nations League theme. That's going to be a tough one to beat. That song is really, really catchy. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't see the point in doing these theme songs, especially they don't really have any connection to the sport or the players or anything, really. But I guess it's a tradition, so who, who am I to judge that? But I guess occasionally it can work like it did for the, I think it was 2010 FIFA World Cup with that Shakira song, Waka Waka AA. That, that, that was a good one. That was a good one. Nicholas Paquin asks, will Micah Ma'a be a better setter than Micah Christensen? Short answer, probably not. Almost definitely not. Christensen is the best setter in the world. M- Micah Ma'a is good, but, you know, and has a lot of potential. Really athletic. I'm not sure at this point what he can do better. It seems like everything that he does well, Christensen does a little bit better. Maybe has a potential for, like, a really, really strong jump serve that Christensen doesn't quite have, but... Christensen's hybrid serve is still pretty dangerous. Christensen's a really good blocker, as is Ma'a. Christensen's a little bit taller, a little bit better of a blocker. I guess Christensen probably can't play outside hitter, so I guess that versatility is an asset, but no, I, I think Christensen will be the best setter. I do have a lot of faith in Ma'a, though. I think he is a top-level prospect, but unfortunately, will probably live in Christensen's shadow for a little while. Saunder Finn asks, can you go through some of the transfers of college players that are going pro this season. There's a pretty good class of guys from the states that are going pro. A few high-level guys, mostly on Long Beach State, graduating at the same time. So I guess I'll go over the top five players graduating this year, yeah, from college. TJ DeFalco will be joining Vibo Valencia in the Italian Superliga, in my opinion, probably aiming to start there. They were kind of a mid-tier team in Italy this year. More towards the bottom than the top, but they have an outside shot at making the playoffs. I liked a lot of the moves they made this year. Mike Ma'a will be playing his first pro season in France for Poitiers, so actually not landing in Italy in his first pro season, which I thought was a little bit surprising, but hopefully he will get a lot more experience in France and can quickly make his way quickly into a better league. But he'll get lots of playing time and lots of reps, so not the worst thing in the world. Josh Tuaniga will be joining... Josh Tuanigo will be joining the newly promoted Plus Liga team. Savalki, again, hopefully as the starter. They also have Kakber Gonchiars, but in my opinion, Tuaniga is the better player. And as of right now, they don't have a ton of other foreign guys for him to compete with. Kyle Onsing is also one of the best players graduating from college this year, but still has not landed a pro contract. A bit surprising considering... He has gotten some serious playtime with Team USA already, and usually those guys are able to get snapped up pretty quickly, but, you know, opposites is a tough position to land a pro contract for. While there is a lot of demand for good opposites, there's also a lot of supply. I guess technically the easiest position probably to play if you are a tall and gifted athlete. So there's a lot of those guys around in volleyball. At this point, he's probably going to have to start his career in France or Germany, don't think there's really a lot of spots left in Italy or Poland, which is also where a lot of American players go. So it'll be interesting to see where Kyle Onsing lands his first pro contract. 
And then there's a pretty big gap between those four guys and everyone else graduating, in my opinion. A lot of the next best players are still younger guys like Dane and Jimma, Eric Lepke, Xander Ketrzynski, Elliot Viles, Patrick Gassman, Rado Parapunov. So guys who still have a year or more of eligibility left, especially in U sports. Most of the good players are younger. I guess in the NCAA, the best players left are Van Tilburg on Hawaii, Joe Worsley on Hawaii, Nick Amato, the middle on Long Beach State University, and Dave Weishrek on Pepperdine. Not sure if I said that right, but... And the only guy out of those guys who has a pro contract right now is Weishrek, so I guess I'm going to say that Dave is the uh, other big guy who signed a pro contract, so I'm sure those other guys will land somewhere if they want, but it's a bit concerning that they haven't gone a contract somewhere in France or Germany left. After you go down from those leagues, it does start to get a bit tougher. I mean, a lot of North American players do have to put in a couple years in Finland or Czech Republic or or Belgium or somewhere like that, but not a great graduating class outside the top four this year for the North Americans. I think this is my last question overall, also by Sonder Finn. He asks, who do you think did the best after you know, now that the transfers are over? And I think the team that changed their situation the most was probably Modena in the Italian Super League. They added Matt Anderson, which was huge, really covers up a lot of the issues they had at outside hitter last year. They also managed to keep Ivan Zaitsev, which is big for them. They managed to to get three of the top American players together in Micah Christensen, Max Holt, Matt Anderson, pairing them with Ivan Zaitsev, Bartosz Bednorz, Daniele Mazzoni, and Salvatore Rossini. So they went from what a lot of people predicted to be outside the big four. Maybe a lot of people predicted them to finish fifth to Milano last year. So going from that to potentially the favorite to win the Super League title, very impressive offseason, especially at the top of the Italian Super League, where it gets super competitive. All right, that's going to be it for me today. A bit of a longer episode, but I love the questions you guys asked. Some very entertaining ones in there. A lot of rankings, a lot of analysis that I had to do. Hope you guys enjoyed the podcast, and I hope you guys have as good as a week as the Toronto Raptors did. Thanks.